Welcome to the Nate Joshuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we discuss the famous Shingi master, the granddaddy of them all, Li Sunyi. Uh, we talk about Li's early life, uh, a couple of fight stories from when he was younger, uh, and then we read a account of Shang Yong Shang, one of his students who we covered in an earlier episode, uh, talking about training with Lee. Uh, then we move on to the Nagong portion of the podcast. We talk about bending and stretching, which is one of the more basic Nagongs. Uh, we talk about how it applies to Qigong and Tai Chi. And later this week, we'll be releasing on our Patreon our interview with uh, Mary Christensen. Mary was one of the early students of Bruce Francis. She was the first person uh, he certified to teach the Wu Long form and one of the first people he taught Bagua to. Uh, it's a really fascinating interview. Mary's got a lot of uh, really deep insights into practicing Tai Chi and uh, just life in general, really. Check out the Instagram for uh, images to go along with the episodes. And we will also be posting some some more Shingy practice sessions to the Patreon coming up. All right. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Neja Chun Podcast with Isaac and Jess. How's it going, Isaac? It's going well, Jess. How you doing? Good to see you. Back right. in person. In, enjoying my day in San Francisco today. And we got some construction in the background. <laughs> Authentic. Today's topic is the famous Shingi Master Li Yi. Now, we've been looking forward to talking about Master Li for a long time because this guy's pretty much one of the biggest names in Xingyi. I'd say you could look at him as one of the founders of Xingyi in the 20th century who really helped bring it to the public. And many of the styles that we see out here in the West are definitely from that Li Yi lineage. Yeah, he's kind of the godfather of modern Xingyi, you know what I mean? Very much. And I think he's pretty recognizable because a lot of people have seen his picture. He's just... He's got this sort of glare. Every picture of him, he's I don't, there's no pictures of him smiling. He's just got the hardened glare of a old school master. He's got this little mustache and just his, something about his eyebrows. Just He's just got the glare of someone who's been through, uh, who, you know. Yeah, well, you don't get a nickname like Single Saber Lee without right. uh, seeing a few things, I'm guessing. Right. He's born uh, fairly early, 1847. And he lives till 1921, which is some years after the founding of the Republic. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why he maybe was so prolific is, you know, he just lived a really long time. And, right. And you live that long, you teach a lot of people. Well, into his 70s and just doing martial arts and promoting martial arts that whole time. Yep. I think he may be the oldest master we've looked at yet in this second season where we're looking at the teachers of yeah, most the OMJ. Of, most of them were his, you know, would have been his students. In his later years, Old Master Li Tsunyi gave up caravan escorting business and focused on teaching martial arts. He had famous disciples, including a number of guys, and they list here Li Jian Chu, who we talked about last time. So this so Master Li Tsunyi is the teacher of Li Jian Chu, who in turn is the teacher of Liu Hong Jie, who survived until nineteen eighty six. He's also the twentieth century. He's also the teacher of Jun Yun Ding. Who we talked about a couple right. episodes so, back. So, you know, both of the guys that Leo's Shingy came from were students or students of students of 
leads on Yi. So it's he was the like I say, he's the you know, the grandfather of the whole yeah. thing. And he's also remarkable for knowing and associating with a bunch of other people from Bagua, Xing Yi, and Tai Chi. It says here he's born in 1847 um, to a poor family and did not go to school but worked for a man who owned a wagon and ran a hauling service. But from a young age, Lee was interested in martial arts. So he did some training. He made, he made a number of friends who were interested in martial arts, um, some who went on to be famous as well. And uh, he went on in his early 20s to meet the renowned Xingyi teacher Liu Qilan, who is also someone we're going to talk about. Um, so this type of training, they were doing it in the 1860s, it sounds like, 1860s and 70s out in Shen County, Hebei province. Um, so it, he was he's clearly at the center of Xingyi at that time period. And eventually he became one of Liu Qilan's best Xingyi students. Um, so eventually he ended up in Beijing where he got connected with Bagua people and learned from them as well. In the martial arts circles, Li Tsunyi was known as Single Saber Li. So this is the this is sort of the heart of his reputation as being uh, known for being a sword fighter. Um, so there's a couple different stories. Like there's the box, what you, there's the Boxer Rebellion one, right? That's where most people see him as getting his nickname. Again. Right. So that's the first big story of him is the during the Boxer Rebellion fights off some foreigners and you know gets the gets the uh, nickname Single Saber Lee. So it says here that he was involved. Before, prior to that, um, Lee was running a bodyguard service in Baoding, um, which he later moved to Tianjin. So the bodyguard service, as I understand it, back in the old days, there wasn't a lot of police force protection so that rich people and business people would often use bodyguard companies to protect their goods when they're, when they're traveling. So that's where a lot of these Xingyi and Bagua people made their reputation, right? right? Yeah, it's how they made a living, too, you know, in the age before handguns, you know. Instead of buying a gun, you'd rent a martial artist. <laughs> During the early 1890s, Lee formed a bodyguard and escort service and hired skilled martial artists to work for him. In addition to those who were already highly skilled in martial arts, Lee also hired strong, courageous young men who showed an aptitude for the fighting arts, and he trained them himself. So he was picking out guys who could be good bodyguards, say 17, 16 years old, putting them through a Xing Yi curriculum and then putting them out to work as bodyguards. Right, or finding guys, sounds like, who were already good mm. and just using them. It says, while uh, providing escort for those that hired him, Lee frequently used his broadsword when fighting bandits. His reputation was such that local bandits would do their best to avoid crossing his path. So it sounds like he had already built up his reputation. So let's say he's born in the 1840s, so this is taking place in the 1860s, 1870s. So then there's the main story about how he earned his nickname while fighting in the Boxer Rebellion. In 1900, Lee and his students joined the fight against the foreign armies. It's said that Lee personally led many men into battle and fought so hard that blood dyed his shirt sleeves. Lee fought using his single broadsword and was given the nickname Single Saber Lee. It, was on, it wasn't necessarily common to be you know, directly involved in the rebellion like that. So that was kind of a... You know, the fact that he was like active in it, I think, was different than a lot of other martial artists at the time who I think you know wanted to keep their distance from the sort mm -hmm. of cult aspect mm -hmm. of the, the, the boxers rebellion because you know, the boxer thing you know became almost like a parody of what the real thing was which you know was sort of this like 
you'd get anointed and, you know, then you'd go off and, you know, supposedly be in, invincible to bullets and things. But, you know, they didn't do a lot of actual training. And, right. Um, you, you know, anyone who wanted to could be called a boxer, essentially. And uh, so I think some, you know, to be in directly involved like that was a was kind of a, you must have had sort of intense feelings about mm. Yeah, that's an interesting little bit of history there. So another, we've got another fight story in here. It sounds like he got into it with that boastful Baji train instructor. So this uh, Baji man, surnamed Liu, was known for his skill with the spear. He challenged Li Tsuni to fight with his choice of weapon. But Li at that stage was trying to promote martial arts for uh, setting a good example to promote righteousness and martial virtue. So he tried to deny it and get out of it. He didn't want to just get into another brawl. But uh, but this other dude was re- angered by Lee's refusal to fight. He thrust his spear at Lee. Lee quickly evaded to the side and then stepped up, pressed his belly against the expended spear tip until he forced the guy to drop the spear and left embarrassed and ashamed. Later, it was said that Liu had returned home, closed down his school, and went into seclusion. So Lee Sun-Yi went to visit him and convinced him to reopen his school and continue teaching. Well, I, I mean, that, that speaks to this um, movement again, you know, we brought up before about how the, these guys were, <clears throat> these guys were on this mission to like promote martial arts as a method of like, you know, national unity and like personal health and growth. And so, you know, I think to him avoiding the fight was probably, he was also, you know, probably pretty old by then, so. Getting up there. Li Tsuni spent the last 20 years of his life teaching and promoting Xingyi Chen and Bagu Zhang. In 1911, he and his friend Zhang Zhaodong were responsible for establishing a martial arts curriculum in the public schools in Tianjin. Then the next year, he teams up with some other martial artists to establish the China Boxers Association in Tianjin. I think we've also seen that translated as the Warrior Society. All right, one last little piece from this Bagua Journal article from uh, March 1994. Um, it describes Li Tsunyi's student, uh, Shang, talks about his training with him. He said that during the first years of practice with Li, he learned the basic skills of Xingyi heaven and earth stance keeping, trinity stance keeping, and five elements. So that's basically Wu Ji standing there, then there's Santi, and then there's you know the five elements. Sounds things. like it, yeah, like a static, you know, standing on both feet, then standing on one foot and santi, and then doing the five elements. I mean, that sounds a lot like the curriculum now. That's pretty much how the way I learned it. Yeah, <clears throat> seems like that's that that part of it just continues. Um, but then now he describes some other stuff. He learned Bagua's moving stance keeping, so that's circle walking, holding postures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see here. Then he went on to work on the 12 animal forms, Shi or Xingchen of Xingyi. Then Bagua circle walking, four-part dragon style palm, uh, linked nine palace palm. So that that's, it sounds like that's the order of what he trained mm. here. Um, Shang gained a solid foundation of both Xingyi and Bagua from Li Tsun Yi. Moving on to the Ne Gung training. We're, today we're looking at uh, one of the Ne Gung skills known as bending and stretching. Uh, I'll re- read from the book definition here. Bending and stretching the body from the inside out and from the outside in along the directions of the yin and yang acupuncture meridian lines. So Isaac, sometimes there's 
in these finer nagong details, like sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between opening and closing or bending and stretching. And how do you approach that stuff? Yeah, I think it, it's often it's a continuum, right? So you have there'll be a beginning level of it, right? So bending and stretching is the sort of ba- most basic level of bringing your hand towards your body and making it go away from your body. So like bringing your hand in and out. That's bending and stretching your arm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're pivoting on the joint of the elbow, essentially. And the piece of it that makes it an internal thing is you're trying to do it where as you bend your arm, you, there is a uh, very minute stretching along one part of it and then when you straighten it there's a very minute stretching on the other part of it so this lengthening is happening as you bend and straighten your arm or leg or anything really and that creates this uh like spring to it so it doesn't collapse right it doesn't have a there's no compression in it but it's able to hinge without losing its uh integrity maybe yeah it's it's you know it's It's a sort of original shape right so So doing it wrong would mean like you'd bring your hand inward and your arm would like collapse onto your body yeah and or stretching your arm out and sort of flinging it fully extended and sort of like crack at the elbow like not not connected it's often compared to the action of the straight sword right the way a straight sword will bend and then it'll sort of snap back spring back spring back into its original shape and that's the idea of, of the bending and straightening is that your arm can bend but it will spring back to this original shape mm-hmm. it won't collapse against your body and then require you to so this is kind of just the basic prerequisite for any type of qigong or martial arts movement you have to be able to expand your limbs and bring them in and out while maintaining a, its integrity and structure to some degree right but you're not necessarily doing anything you're not twisting and spiraling and pulsing and stuff like that. It's just the mere action of opening and closing. I mean, of bending your arm inward on at the elbow and, and stretching. Yeah, it and it's also your, I mean, it, the bigger one, for example, is your hips, right? Mm. So the quad squat where you hold your knees still and you bend and at your waist and sort of your butt drops. That initially that action is done just by folding, i.e. bending your waist and then you stretch and bend your legs and then you stretch your legs and then will unfold your your waist so that doesn't actually have any sort of internal compression it's just a hinge like a you know just think of like a door hinge so it starts off as a hinging action right until you have it smooth and connected and reliable right a hinge is different from like a a spring right like a spring takes pressure in it and then releases that pressure a hinge just swivels along with the pressure how do you apply that first basic level of hinging in within the bending and stretching within say either energy gates or heaven and earth it's a bigger part of heaven and earth um because of the you know it's it's a more linear movement right so Mm. the folding of the arm so the, the term that gets used more commonly than bending and straightening is folding, right? Mm. The way, you know, like in Tai Chi, for example, somebody pushes on your wrist, you fold at the elbow, right? Um, but you don't fold, let your, but you don't let your fold. elbow collapse against your body. So it's, it's this 
sort of caveat of it's not you know bending and straightening things is very it is the most basic level of movement that you can do Mm. it's just the piece about when you do it you don't collapse so if it's your leg it's you bend your leg by squatting right or picking up your foot but for most of this stuff it's by squatting and the the part that makes it a bend and stretch is that you don't move your knee forward right Hmm. that you keep that um stable point and you bend the other two things so in your arm it's your elbow right your elbow doesn't move up and down as you bend it holds a a relatively still position so that's that hinge point you're talking about so there's a, a a stability point Right, that has to, something has to, you know, it, again, if you think of a door, right, the hinge has to be attached to the frame, right? Or Otherwise it's gonna, the whole thing's gonna fly off. Right. Well, now that you mention in energy gates, you kind of lengthen your arms, but they don't bend; they just stay lengthened while you do the right. swings. You do it with your waist, maybe a little bit in the swings. You do it with your waist, cloud hands. Yeah, you do it with your waist a lot in the third swing. Mm. That's probably the most obvious one. Is the way you bend. What you're doing in cloud hands is the only place that's really bending and stretching is your shoulder. Mm. Right. Yeah, because it, it expands and comes back and forth, whereas yeah. the arms just lengthen and stay there. Some people There's do it. Some it. people do it where they bend the arm in the first half of the motion and then stretch it. In, well, okay. In, yeah, you can in sort the of bend your half. elbow. I get you. I, you know, I think that method is kind of a merging some or of you just stuff. keep the arms straight and go back yeah and forth. i mean i think the more simplest. the more you know pure form of energy gates has less of that bending and stretching bending and stretching right and the you know if you start mixing it with dragon and tiger stuff right. or you other can do things. it all with it if yeah you want. i mean so it's it's all well, then when you get to heaven and earth it's obvious now that bending and stretching is going on from the very first action right it's the well it becomes one of the primary actions rather than a secondary mm. thing right? so it's on the front plate you know right, it's right. the main course where in you know in energy gates the primary thing is the turning so, twisting spiraling stuff in in heaven and earth, the primary stuff is the bending and straightening, opening, closing. On a pretty know, linear, on a rather more, than yeah, yeah. twisting and spiral. So it's just kind of they you know that's why they're different sets. <laughs> they use different nagongs. And then going on to something like uh, bend the bow, shoot the arrow. That's well, that's deeply the, involved with bending. Right, that's stretching. the more advanced part of where the linear stuff goes, and then you get to gods playing in the clouds. That's the more advanced part of, well, it's all of it, but it, it, it that really takes the spiraling and twisting stuff to a, a, the next level. Mm, and combine that with some of that bending and stretching. Right, and that's kind of where you put all of it in together. So you're doing, you know, the opening, closing, the bending and stretching, and all the twisting and spiraling stuff. So at the beginning of Bend the Bow, there's that arm action where they come in and out as you start to combine that, connect it with your spine and your legs. But you were saying to me earlier, you're not necessarily pumping anything or squeezing anything or compressing anything. Merely the arms just moving in space in a fixed, yeah, the, smooth location. The difference really in terms of uh, physical motion is what your finger does, right? So if you're doing a bending and straightening action, your hand will come back towards your body. Your fingers will come with it. Your wrist might bend a tiny bit, but not much. I see. When you're doing a 
pumping action like bend the bow, your fingertips don't move at all. And your wrist and your forearm sort of have to pivot around. And you can feel mass pressure through your arm into your body, down your legs. Whereas at first, the the arms kind of just move. Right. There's no compression. There's no compression. Right. So, So bending and straightening is... It doesn't compress the the inside of the body. It simply, it, the way I think of it is, it lubricates the the mm. the hinges, right? So the first thing in any internal art is you have to be able to move the outside. If you can't move all of the little wiggling parts on the outside, they're gonna get in the Stuck. way, right? Yeah, it's gonna be so, a problem. You know, uh, internal arts, you you have to have all of the external stuff working. It doesn't have to be, wow. you know, extravagant. Well, the wheels have to be free to turn right. before you rev the engine. <laughs> Otherwise, um, nothing will happen. The, the way I put it with people is I talk about freedom of motion versus, like, doing something, right? That the first part of it is you're not trying to do anything. You're trying to open, close, bend, you know. You just want that whatever the motion is, it's not stuck, you know that, that freedom of motion and that's where this bending and straightening thing is is it's it's the first sort of piece of like you know can i hinge my limbs without you know collapsing or getting stiff you know and then if you can do that you can start piling things on top of that but that initial scale of just uh you know bending your arm and leg and not collapsing your insides is kind of the uh you know, it's the, the it's baseline. The, it's the letter A. It's, the letter a, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like it's the first. You know, it doesn't. Definitely so people doesn't, are feeling overwhelmed by it. Really, it just boils down to: Are you able to move your hand in and out without having any stuckness or whatever? One other thing about the explanation I was going to ask you is the the idea of these yin and yang surfaces, like the sunny side of your body and then the shady side, the yin, the yang, and then the yin. That's part of the bending and stretching too, right? Yeah, that's the lengthening portion of it, huh. which sometimes is a separate, you know, topic. Topic, but but they go together in that as you straighten, right? You are generally lengthening on the yang surfaces, um, and if you don't know what that is, if you sort of uh, take your arms and legs and divide them in at a diagonal, so that the hairy part. That's the yang part, the bald part, that's the yin part, more or less. And the idea is that when you're straightening, you're very slightly emphasizing the yang part. And then when you're bending, you're very slightly emphasizing the yin part. And that's what keeps it from collapsing, right? This this constant lengthening inward and lengthening outward is what keeps that integrity a uh, little bit of slack in your arm so that it doesn't get stiff from becoming uh, floppy, right? So you're able to be loose and smooth, but it doesn't flop all over the place. It has a, a certain sort of um, viscous quality to it. Um, and so a lot of this about is, training that. I remember when, at one time we were like sweeping down your arm and then sweeping up the right. That's the of your that's arm. the yin and just to get a sense of the yin and yang meridians, you can sort of run your hand up the inside and down the outside, sort of like you're rubbing, you know, washing your arm or something. Um, but those type of things are more 
you know, that's more to get the energetic part of it. The, the more sort of concrete thing I think that to get a sense of it is if you take your, uh, hand or your thumb and kind of pull up on the inside of your forearm, you can pull your fingers back a little bit. That the the the, Let's see. Yeah, the you, tissue you the little. tissue in your forearm it will connect all the way to your fingertips. Interesting, true. And, and so you start getting a sense of how um, it's not just the finger or the most outer thing pulling on the stuff on the inside, but it's also the stuff on the inside, you know, closer to the body, the shoulders, the the back. You can lengthen outward from the inside and go, you know, extend your body that way rather than pulling it from the hand or the elbow, right? Um, and that that is just a, it's more of a, like where you start the motion that, you know, your intent is to start it uh, inside your body and have it move towards the outside or ha or start it on the outside and have it move toward the inside but there isn't a um again that sort of excessive pulling or collapsing action to it it's just like a traction almost so getting this thing of just being able to lightly kind of feel a stretch on the outside of your arm as you extend it and then a light pull or stretch on the inside as you bend it and and you know again you do with those two-person things but this will happen anyway because it's the way your body's sort of built structurally so there's right. this is the know, tendency of the body to, to right. expand on the outside going down and this is this is really i mean i think what it does is it it wakes things up right just by doing that i mean it's it's such a simple action and it doesn't feel like you're doing anything there's no feedback right when you start mm -hmm. to push and pump and really compress things and pressurize mm -hmm. the inside of your body you feel the power yeah. there's a lot of feedback you you feel something happening when you're doing this stuff there's almost no feedback and the the again the freedom of motion is the feedback right that the feedback is that all of a sudden you can move your arm and it doesn't uh, crunch and pop and click, but it also doesn't collapse, and you know it can you know it can hold some strength. So the the thing we do in Shingy that to test this, where you just put your arm against someone's shoulder and you take a step forward, right? And if your arm is connected and you you've lengthened and you've stretched, you don't have to tense up your arm or push or anything. That force will transfer to your body and just the this. taking of that step will take the space. Right. But if you don't have that, what happens is when your body moves forward, your arm collapses and it, you know, your elbow bends and you flops against your body and nothing happens, right? So that's kind of the result of this thing is that you get to where you can stretch or bend. And it's you know, if you're bending, it's the the action of like um roll back in Tai Chi or, you know, pulling, pulling someone's hand towards you where you're just bending your arm to sort of follow their punch or whatever. And then at a certain point, you just straighten it again, right? So it's just a sort of, you know, go one way, go the other way. Mm -hmm. But all you do is you bend with them 
and then you straighten when they get close. It seems like Tai Chi movements really seem like the perfect place to practice that kind of stretching and bending. The way the arms are shaped and the way you shift from posture to posture, it's just, it seems like it's an ideal. So it, like Bagua, you kind of hold your arms out in that stretch. Yeah, yeah. Tai Chi. You're not bending and stretching as much. Tai Chi of until the. Until you change, yeah. Yeah. Tai Chi of the three internal martial arts in the beginning emphasizes bending and stretching the most. Shingi and Bagua mm. emphasize lengthening and opening and closing. Hmm more than than you know, the classic shingy posture where you stand in santi expand yeah you don't come back much out of that your you elbow, pretty much grow your elbow doesn't yeah. your elbow doesn't bend at all you just you Stretch. can compress what's happening in, mm. in your arm into your body and you can absorb pressure so that's but, that opening and closing right. you're saying that but you, special. <laughs> you don't you don't pull your hand back and chop it like a hatchet like, like a um catapult right it's not that kind of mm. flipping motion you swing it more like a baseball bat, right? Mm. Where in Tai Chi, there's a lot of that folding, like bending Folding, motion. yeah, like push hands and stuff. There's all kinds yeah. of ways to and escape force. Bagua start, you know, Bagua has both. It, it, you know, it starts with the more extended stuff yeah. and then later does the bending, twisting stuff. So, it, you know, it, it goes a little It further. all comes around in the end. All right, well, uh, nice talking to you. You had to talk. All right, cheers. Hey, everyone, Isaac here. Uh, just, uh... Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, check out the Instagram, like and subscribe, and take care of yourself.